I, I said this morning that I was going to talk tonight on uh, is it better not to marry and uh, announce the findings, the results of my survey. I asked several husbands and wives and single people, is it better not to marry? And I thought I'd announce the result and name names tonight. But I better do that in a private way um, after the service. If you'd like to know what your husband said or your wife, uh, I'll see you after the service. And if you wish you hadn't said what you said, well, for $25, I can change, I can change the results. What I want to do tonight is to continue on in a series that I'm doing four sermons on the home and the family and talk specifically about marriage. If you have a New Testament, would you look to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35. Now, I don't stand before you as an expert on marriage. If my wife were not here, I could tell you a lot of things about marriage and how it's to be done and all, but... Since she's here, uh, I've kind of got to tell the truth about uh, myself, and I'm no expert. I used to run track, and the further I get away from my hometown, the faster I am, or was, you know. My, my speed in uh, high school, 880, is much faster now, the further I get away from, from my uh, hometown. That's kind of the way it is on marriage. It's always, if you know, if there's not anybody around there that knows better, you can really make it sound great. But I want, to, I want to talk to you today as a fellow struggler and the, uh, and the uh, experience of marriage. And for those of you who are thinking about it or hoping, uh, got your fingers crossed and the guy picked out and he's, uh, he's the one, well, maybe this will help. Then again, it may be the worst thing you've heard. Verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul is giving some advice on marriage. He's talking to these people. He said, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided, and the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on, upon you. That's an interesting word. It means put a noose around you or tie you like an animal. I'm not telling you this to, as an ironclad thing for you to put a noose around you, but to promote what is seemly, what seems to be right to me, and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Pastor Anthony Bland has written an article entitled, Marriage Does Not Have to Be a Quiet Hell. And the inspiration of his article comes from a statement made by an eminent psychologist and columnist, Dr. Joyce Brothers. She was addressing the American Hospital Association and said, quote, Marriage is a quiet hell for over half of American couples. Four out of twelve marriages will probably end in divorce, while another six becomes 
loveless utilitarian relationships to protect children, property, shared careers, and other goals. Now what Joyce Brothers was saying there is that only one out of six marriages could be called successful. And that, my friends, is scary. Um, I once read about a nagging wife who hired this medium to call back the spirit of her dead husband. And when he appeared in ghostly form, she said, Honey, is it really better up there? And he said without hesitation, It's much better, but I'm not up there. <laughs> there, are, there are millions... Did you catch that? <laughs> there are millions of men and women who believe that hell could be no worse than being married. I wish you could sit some... No, I don't. In the, in the study of a pastor just for about six months and just get a feel of how some people feel about marriage. 1981, the Detroit Free Press ran the result of their marriage poll. And the startling find is that 70% of the couples that they interviewed said that they would not marry the same partner if they had the choice or chance to do it again. Some marriage counselors are estimating that 70% of all the retired couples who choose to stay together after retirement do so in shared hostility. And according to Strauss and Gales and their survey, they estimate that as much as many as seven and a half million couples in the United States will experience, will go through some violent episodes in their marriage this year. And their contention is that marriage is in a state of calamity. Is it better not to marry? Well, if we use the Apostle Paul as our exclusive counselor, according to him, the answer is yes. Now, it is clear that the Apostle is expecting the immediate return of the Lord. He is anticipating that Christ is coming back immediately. And he's anticipating the immediate establishment of the kingdom of Christ. And he saw marriage as an impediment to the doing of Christ's commands. That a, that a single couple is freed up to do what God wants them to do and free with, from the concerns of the world so that they can please the Lord. Now it's obvious that the Apostle Paul is not against marriage. Um, he knows that some are going to marry, and he doesn't condemn that. And it's clear that he sees marriage as primarily a means of satisfying and regulating sexual needs. And he says, it would be better to be married than to burn. But it is obvious in this passage that the Apostle Paul is saying that it's better to remain single than married, or at least he's saying, if you're going to marry, it's better that you act single. Isn't that amazing? And his perspective is quite different from that of the book of Genesis. And the author of the book of Genesis says, it is not good that man should be alone. And in generalities, that is the concept or the perspective of the New Testament church, of the Christian church. 
Marriage is good, we feel, and it is a part of the plan of God. As a matter of fact, we're so pro-marriage that we neglect as uh, singles, you know. It's just been the, in, in the recent past that the church has directed its ministry to that large group of people, uh, adult singles, who are unmarried. Uh, is it better to marry? For most of us, the answer is yes. I'm sure I better say that. I'm going I'm I'm to guarantee I'm going to say that. For, for most of us, it, the answer is yes. For marriage has stood the test of time and it stood the test of scriptures. And the first miracle that Jesus performed was at a wedding. Now, the national ma- magazines can trumpet the glories of singleness, but the fact remains that most single peer- people will, will, will marry someday and most divorced people will try it again. Now, it's not for everybody, of course, but the author of the book of Genesis was, was speaking the mind and the heart of God when he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not. Yes, it's better to marry. But how do you keep a marriage from becoming a quiet hell? I want to suggest tonight some essentials. I'd like for you to jot these down. If you don't jot them down, work that crossword puzzle that Kevin's got there. He said he was going to do that and make it look like it uh, looked like he was taking notes. I knew I'd get you, boy. Uh, if you don't take notes, make it look like it. You know, I right, jot these down. Some some principles for a successful marriage. Now I want to tell you. I want to tell you the truth. Now, for some, it'd be better if they'd never married, right? But that's not the case generally, and, 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 and marriage does not have to be a quiet hell. But I'm going to tell you there are some things that you need to work at to make it successful. The first is this. The first is a commitment. A commitment to marriage and to each other. You remember Paul Simon's song on 50 ways to leave your lover? Just slip out the back, Jack. Uh, make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to coy, be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. Just hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, Lee. Just get yourself free. Now, we smile at that, but there are a lot of people, folks, that enter into marriage with no greater commitment than that. And it just doesn't work. Suzanne Brett Jordan wrote in Newsweek magazine something I think is true. She said, quote, I think people need to be upset about the seriousness of this thing called divorce. I'm grown up and I have responsibilities and I'm in the middle of a lifelong marriage. I'm hanging in there, she said, sometimes Enjoying, sometimes just enduring. For some reason, she she says, we assume that people can't stay married for life, but we make no such assumption about staying on the same job or staying with the same religious denomination. Marriage for life. Now, I'm not here, I'm not so naive that I'm going to believe that every marriage is going to be for a lifetime. I may look stupid, but I'm not that dumb. And I'm not so naive to believe that every marriage should stay for life. But I'm going to tell you that no marriage should be entered into without a commitment for a lifetime as the primary intent. 
Many of our mothers and our fathers that grew up and they got married and they stayed with it because they believed that divorce was unthinkable. I mean, they just, it wasn't in their vocabulary. They just didn't believe that divorce was right. And so they stayed in it and they worked at it and they found fulfillment in it and they made their marriage work. And somehow, I think that we have a feeling that it was easier back then. But, but marriages were imperfect back then also because people were imperfect back then. I heard about the wife who went with her next-door neighbor to the police to report her husband missing. And she said, my husband is 6'4", dark, wavy hair, brown, beautiful brown eyes, athletic build, has a, has a sweet disposition, and he's good to the kids. And the neighbor protested, your husband is 5'4", fat and bald, and he's got a got a loud, bad mouth, and he's bad to your kids. And the wife said, I know it, but who wants him back? You know, uh, there are no such thing. <laughs> uh, uh, That's kind of funny to me. I kind of, there are no perfect wives, and there are no perfect husbands. Therefore, there are no perfect marriages, but marriages can work if we're committed to them and we're committed to each other. If you like saying amen every now and then, just say amen. First is commitment. The second is adaptability. Where do we develop our image of what marriage is? Now, I have the privilege of doing some counseling from time to time. I'm going to tell you some goofy concepts of what the husband and wife role is. Where do we get these? Where do, we, where do we develop our idea about what marriage is supposed to be or to do? What a husband and wife is supposed to do? Where do we get these ideas? Well, there are three sources that form our basic understanding of marriage. The first is the home where we grew up. Your parents were the first husbands and the first wives you've ever seen. And so you're exposed in your home to both the good and the bad. And you observe them in their relationships and how they respond to one another, in their responses, in their roles. And so you begin to develop in your mind what a husband is to be like or a wife is to be like, what, what marriage is to be like. You get that from your home. It's interesting. It's important to sit down. If you know somebody that's going to get married, if it's your kid especially, I mean, talk about what is your role concept? Where, what, what images do you have in your home of what a husband and wife are to be like? The second source of our understanding of what the husband and wife are to be and do, we get from, from what we read or what we hear see of out, and from outside sources. Every book we read, I'm going to tell you what, there are a lot of religious books today that are absolutely weird with, with their approach to what a husband and wife are to be like. Every book you read, every magazine article you browse, every movie you see, every television show you view, every person you observe begins to develop for you your concept of what a husband is to be like, and a wife is to be like, and a marriage is to be like. The third source is what our married friends tell us, what they say. 
Now, the problem with all of this is that no two people have the exact same concept. And so we bring into marriage different expectations and understandings of what a marriage is to be like. And it's, and it's a mind-boggling to sit down and talk to people and ask them, married couples, how many of you had counseling before you got married? I mean, I did a retreat one time of, of seminary students. There were about 12 couples on this retreat. And I asked them, how many of you had any counseling before you got married? There was one couple out of 12, and all these kids were from religious backgrounds and homes. Only one couple said they had any counseling, and that was about an hour before the wedding ceremony. And so we bring into these to our marriage this expectation and understanding that we've developed from all these sources. And the problem is nobody has the same exact concept of what it's to be like. And so one expert put it like, puts, puts it like this. He said, The grinding of the gears as they try to mesh in the early years is often very painful. You, you remember the first time you drove one of the big old truck that had that uh, uh, shift on the floor? I mean, I ground off a pound of... This guy's riding with, he said, grind me off a pound of that gear. I mean, you, you try, you know, you, you get, you're not used to it, and you're trying to get, get it in gear, it just grinds and just, just rips that transmission out. Nearly. That, that's what happens when you come into marriage and you try to work those kinds of things at first. And, and this expert said, what is involved is the different task of creating a workable synthesis. Watch this. A workable synthesis of the legacies of the two childhoods which the partners bring into any marriage. What he's saying is this, we need to learn how to transform my understanding of marriage and your understanding of marriage into our understanding of marriage. And that's painful. And the process is hard and long. Are you, are you doing that? Where did I lose? You seem like I'm not... You're with me still, aren't you? Third point, communication. Communication. Norman Wright has a book called Communication is the Key to Your Marriage. It's the truth. Red Book Magazine said no longer is uh, uh, money and in-laws the main cause of divorce, but the lack of communication. 1978, a man by the name of Roy Rhodes, Dr. Roy Rhodes, a psychiatrist in Dallas, Texas, wrote an article in the Dallas Morning News and said that the average couple, the average couple spends less than 37 minutes a week. Uh, the average couple who have been married over, who has been married over 10 years, spends less than 37 minutes a week in close communication. And James Bernard, the famous family sociologist says this, and it's staggering. Openness of communication is virtually non-existent between husbands and wives of middle age. Am I, am I hearing a kind of a silent amen? I heard about this guy who was working on this CB trying to pick up this, you know, some conversation going down the highway. He's just working at it, you know. Uh, this is, you know, high noon, you know. Somebody reading me, just really working at it. Finally, his wife said, If you're so desperate for somebody to talk to you, why don't you hang up that foolish thing and spend some time talking to me? Ouch, that hurts, doesn't it? 
I mentioned this morning that Tim and Bev LaHaye say that, that the reason why that God says for man, that God commands man four times more often in the Scripture, love your wife, than he does to say that the wife love your husband is because two things. The wife needs that more than the husband. And secondly, the husband has a harder time doing it, so he has to work at it more. I heard old Rodney Dangerfield say one time, you know this guy that says, I get no respect? He said, my wife and I live in separate rooms. We sleep in separate beds. We eat meals at different times. We take separate vacations. We're doing everything we can to keep this marriage together. <laughs> what you need to do tonight to keep this marriage together, to make it best, to make it right, is to begin to spend some time with each other. I know I'm talking to myself. Norman Rice said that you ought to spend 15 minutes every day, the husband and the wife, sitting knee to knee, so that you can look each other in the face and talk to each other. Oh, he said, we do a lot of talking, you know, out of our ear where we're watching television. You know, I'm watching television and she's watching television and we're just kind of talking sideways. And he said, we need to take 15 minutes every day and just sit and face to face with our knees touching and talk. Communication. Fourth is affirmation. Affirmation. Not only do we need to spend more time together, we need to use that time to affirm each other. Now, there, granted, there are some things in, in every life that make affirmation difficult. Now, now, you're going to have a hard time finding anything about that old boy that's good to say to him or that old gal. It's, it's some, there, true, there are so many things in our life that make affirmation difficult. But you know the happy marriages? The happy marriages are those where despite all the imperfections there are and the inequities that are there, they, they affirm one another. They are positive with each other. They, they, they find those things in each other for which they are thankful. And they say that and they share that. Now, don't do it tonight. She'll just say that the preacher told you. But when you, when you can slip up and catch her, you know, unaware, tell her how much she means. How, much he, how long has it been since you've told him how much he means or what he does every day out there in the, in the bump and grind? And the happiest marriages are those where we, we sense that spiritual gift in the other person and we begin to work at, at developing that and affirming that spiritual gift and where we say to one another, this is, this is where you're so wonderful and beautiful. This is where you're so right and good and I want to thank you for being that and doing that. Affirming one another. Now she'll die with shock when you do that the first time, but you can resuscitate her and get her back. Do it. Fifth principle. Two more. Fifth principle of a happy marriage is allegiance. Now, I know this sounds like commitment, so I want you to hang in here just a minute. I heard about, I shared with the guys Friday about Hazel and Herman. They'd gotten married and just been married a couple of weeks, and Hazel had a lot of money, and they moved into this beautiful new home that... 
Hazel bought with her money. And she said, Herman, I just want you to know if it weren't for this, if it weren't for this money, my money, if it weren't for my money, we wouldn't be here. He said, I know it. And they filled up this house with this beautiful furniture. And Hazel just couldn't let him get by. And she said, Herman, I just want you to know if it weren't for my money, that furniture wouldn't be there. They brought in this lovely TV, delivered it, stereo TV unit, set it in the house. And they were watching it. She said it again. She said, Herman, I want you to know if it weren't for my money, that television wouldn't be here. Herman said, I don't want you to feel too bad, honey, but if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> now, why, why do we stay together? Sometimes, uh, I guess that's a big question. Why do we stay together? Now, now listen carefully. There has to be marriage demands an absolute allegiance that is exclusive. Hear this. You, when you get married, have no right to give yourself physically or emotionally to anyone else. I need to say that again and again. When you get married, you have no right to give yourself physically and emotionally to anyone else. You give up that right when you marry. And if you are not ready to give up that right, you're not ready to marry. You mark it down. I don't get too emphatic about many things, and I'm certainly not narrow-minded, but I am at this point. If you're not ready to make an exclusive alliance with your husband or your wife so that you cannot give yourself physically or emotionally to anyone else, you have no business getting married. You have only the right to give yourself physically and emotionally to each other and no one else. Now, I know a lot of guys, I've got some good, dear friends in the ministry who have gotten themselves emotionally involved with other people other women. Ain't gonna say anything wrong with it. I'm gonna tell you what, it's dangerous. It's dynamite. It's explosive. It's terrible. You have no right to do that. If I'm talking to somebody tonight in this place or on television and you're linking up emotionally and spiritually or physically to someone else, you have no right to do that. As a married man, as a married woman, that emotional commitment needs to be to your wife or your husband. That physical commitment is to him or to her. We become one flesh and that totality, that unity that joins us together involves all of us, the emotion and as, and, 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 and as well as the physical. And after all, it's not sexual experience, mostly emotion. There needs to be a, an allegiance and how we need to nail that home. Um, one last thing, and that is there needs to be a sacred covenant in marriage. Now, I've wrestled a lot with um, what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. is about, you know, marrying people, you know, performing their weddings. And, and, and there are lots of folks that uh, come here to get married. 
I don't suppose there's a week passes that I don't perform a wedding, sometime two or three. Uh, people come over from Texas and they can get married on the, on the same day. And I, and I, I, I want to, and I, I've wrestled with my responsibility in that. Decided that, that uh, if uh, the conditions were acceptable and those people were Christian, I would, I would do that. This is what I tell every one of them. When you get married, you're making, a, you're making a covenant not with another person only. You're making a covenant with God that you're going to treat that other person as you would treat no other. Are you un, are you, do you understand that? That when you get married, you make a covenant with God. For marriage is something that He does. Marriage is a divine institution. He said, whatever I join together, let no one put asunder. I mean, it's not, human, it's not a human uh, experience. It's a divine experience. He joins people together in marriage. I mean, if it's, if it's a marriage, and it's got to be a sacred covenant, there must be a trinity in marriage. A trinity. You, your spouse, and God. Now, let's just suppose that I asked Jerry, I asked Lee, to come here to this pulpit. The closer they get to this pulpit, the closer they get to each other. And if you put in the center of your life, in the focal point of your life, your marriage, God, and He becomes the focal point of that marriage, the focal point of your life, the focal point of your commitment, the closer you get to Him, the closer you get to each other. Now, I don't know how it happens, but I know some people that, that live together in a lifelong contract of marriage who are not believers, who are not Christians. And they seem, they, they communicate at least happiness in marriage, that they're doing fine. They don't get a divorce, they don't separate, and they seem to, to get along fine. But if the Scripture is right, if the Bible is true, then... How are you going to have a deep and meaningful marriage if you exclude the Father from it, if you exclude God? And that's why I encourage people in family altars, that's why I encourage people in marriage just to begin giving God the place of commitment, the place of, of, uh, 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 of priority in, in, in marriage, to, to, to come together as you come to Him. And there is something unique about a marriage where both marriage partners are totally committed to God. There's something unique about that. Now, I have been able to put my finger on it. And I have been able to explain it entirely. But I can tell you, without reservation, without fear of contradiction, that there is a uniqueness to a marriage where God is in the center. And there is a something wonderful and, 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 and dynamic about a marriage where the, the partners pray together and they seek the will of God in their decisions and, they, and they, they worship together. They come together at church and they are sitting there together in church and they are following the Lord together and they are raising their t uh, children together and they pray together for God to help them in their parenting let me tell you something. There's something glorious about that. Something beautiful about it. It must be like what it's like in heaven. 
Now, if you hadn't found that in your marriage, you may be perfectly happy just as it is. But let me tell you, you're, you're missing out. Uh, you need a taste of this other thing and see if you don't like it better. It's wonderful. There's something unique about that. And I want to encourage you. As you think about getting married, what we always think is, well... You know, we just love each other so much and we've got so much to do and so much life to live. We'll, we'll get to this God business later on. You miss the main thing. Now, if you don't mind, you know, if you want to say amen, it won't hurt say amen. Now listen to this last statement. Is it better not to marry? I believe this with all my heart. It is better not to marry if you leave God out of your marriage. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the Christian wife who's been a part of my life for over 25 years. I thank you for the influence of her upon me before we ever married, the deep commitment she had made to God that enabled me to come from a life of rebellion and Christlessness to an understanding of what it means to be pure and right and honest and good. I pray that every young man could have that in his lifetime, could have a wife that was pure and good and godly. I'd pray that for every young person here tonight. I'd pray for every young woman in this place, yet not married. She could have a godly husband who would treat her with dignity and honor as the weaker vessel. She could be cherished and nourished as unto the Lord. That her husband would be her lover and her leader. I'd pray that for every young woman here. I'd pray for every marriage tonight that there might be commitment, adaptability, communication, allegiance. That for every marriage there could be affirmation. Most of all, there could be a husband who loved the Lord, who was a spiritual leader of his home, who taught the children to pray. I pray that for every home. And if there are men here tonight, men like this pastor, like this staff, men who struggle through life to be what we ought to be, who would need to come to say, I need to make a decision tonight, a commitment to God to be the spiritual leader of my home, to be the husband I need to be. I'll do it because I believe that I am the leader. I pray that will happen in this place. And that some wife would come to say, I, I failed in my submission to my husband, in my devotion to him and love. Some child who would come to say, I I need to do a better job of being a child, parent, a, a youth to my parents. 
Lord, I pray for this moment of invitation that you'll receive a special amount of glory and praise because of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, in a spirit of prayer, we're going to stand and we'll give invitation tonight for you to come. Would you come on the first word?